0: you got your Bible, please turn with me to Luke chapter 12. We are going to talk about another parable. You know, we have been uh, working our way through several parables, and uh, they've been great studies. And uh, it's amazing when we uh, really dig into what God says and what Jesus said here on this earth. You know the red letters of our Bible? And uh, one pastor said all the letters should be read in the Bible, right? And uh, <laughs> we should, uh, as we look to the red letters, the color red, we know that's what Jesus taught. And when you read these parables, they are moving. Some of them are very striking. Some of them are very challenging. Uh, and that's what they were meant for. Um, Jesus taught in these parables to stretch their, to stretch the disciples, to stretch the those who follow after him, to seek after truth, to look deeper than just a surface meaning or a casual glance at Scripture. Uh, much like in James, where it talks about, "What good is it if you look into a mirror and you go away and forget what you looked into?" But those who look into the law of liberty and continue, those are the ones who are changed by the Word of God. That's what we should be as Christians, those who are disciples of Christ. We should look into God's Word, and we should dwell in it. We should study it. We should let it move our hearts. Not a quick glance, but a deep look into it. And these parables challenge us to do that. They challenge the disciples to do that. They challenge those who are around them to do that. And Jesus, at this time, in Luke chapter 12, you got a Bible, you could turn there, they... Uh, He'd become very popular. Um, The message of Jesus Christ wasn't very popular, but the the miracles of Jesus Christ became very popular. And uh, who would not want a miracle? Who would not want to be blessed? Who would not want to be some part of a supernatural movement? And so as the disciples stayed the same, and as the, the true followers of Christ was moving with him as he discipled them personally, the crowds got bigger, and the crowds got bigger and bigger and bigger. And so Jesus began to teach to these crowds and talk to these crowds, and he told his disciples, I'm going to teach to you in parables because they're not going to seek after the truth. They are here for the miracles. They are here for the fishes and the loaves. They are here for the free lunches, so to speak. But you are going to seek after this truth. And this is an example where uh, these great crowds were around him, and we're going to talk about the parable of the rich fool. I'm going to start in verse 13, and we're going to work our way down through um, towards the end of the chapter. And uh, it begins in verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to define the inheritance with me. So obviously, uh, there's this guy in the crowd. He shouts out to Jesus, Hey, Jesus. Tell my brother to give me all, the, all my inheritance. Tell him to give me all my money now. Divide it with me, meaning that I want to be blessed. I want more possessions. I want the, the, the physical, earthly things that I can have now. And uh, he, he, as you read this, the rest of this, you kind of understand. He said this in a in a sarcastic kind of way because I assume Jesus was answering and talking as he was, and they were kind of poking fun at Jesus. If you are such a great teacher and you are the master, then hey, tell my brother to give me all my inheritance so I can have a lot of possessions and I could be blessed. And, and verse fourteen. He said, but Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And I'm sure uh, the guy kind of sunk down in his seat a little bit, you know, like, uh oh, <laughs> I, I think I just hit a nerve, I struck a nerve. And, and Jesus looks to him and says, Who are you to say that I'm a judge or arbitrator over you? Because you're poking fun at me or you're saying something out of something out of the ordinary. He says, I am not one who is a judge or arbitrator over you. He's saying, you can do whatever you want to do. And in verse 15, he said to them, talking to the whole crowd, and, and he begins to reveal the heart. He begins to reveal the motive behind this. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. So he immediately speaks to the heart of the issue. And I'm sure that guy probably started yelping a little bit. My dad uh, said his dad used to tell him when you throw a stick into a pack of dogs, the one who yelps is the one that got hit, right? And so this guy was probably yelping a little bit because he was wanting these possessions. He was uh, carrying after the fishes and the loaves. He wanted to be blessed. He wanted these things. And so he was taking a shot at Jesus and Jesus looks to them and the crowd and saying, you're following after me and you are coveting other people's stuff. But I'm going to tell you the truth. This life is do- does not consist in the abundance of things that you possess now there were several uh, false teachings in that day uh, one of them were the more godly you were the more wealth that you had That's why in James, it talks about the brother who comes into the church service to do the temple that did not have fine clothing and apparel. They sit him in the back. But those who came in with fine clothing and apparel, what they do, they sit him down on the front row because they felt like they were more godly than those who were poor. It was equated as you were godly. You would be physically or materially blessed with possessions. And so Jesus was looking at him saying, you're seeking after these possessions and these welts and all these things that other people People have, but I tell you, life doesn't consist of the abundance of the things that he possesses. And I would dare to say we're not that far off even today, are we not? There are people who believe all in this life is together all the things that you can possess. And we see people who give their whole life, their whole families, their whole career, everything they have just to accumulate more things. And so Jesus moves on and he tells them a parable. This is the setting for verse 16. He spoke to them a parable saying... The ground of a certain man yielded plentifully. Now we talked about a parable. Uh, One of the identifying facts of a parable, other than Jesus saying it's a parable, is that he doesn't use a specific name, right? He uses a a broad term, a man, a sower, a a farmer, a seed. He doesn't use a specific name. So right here, he says a certain rich man. He doesn't use a name. He says the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, meaning that he had much possession. He had a lot of uh, produce. His land was very valuable in those days. And farmers, uh, their wealth was uh, brought up, uh, or their wealth consisted of what their land would yield. And especially in good land would yield a lot of possessions, a lot of of, uh, crops, so they could have a lot of possessions. And so he said, I had this land, and it was just exploding with growth, this certain rich man. And he thought to himself, saying... What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? He got to look and he said, I have this, uh, this whole place and I have all this stuff. And what should I do? Because I have no more room to store my stuff. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and all my goods. And I say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for you for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So, he, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Wow. Wow. So when we break down the scripture a little bit, this man obviously had a worldly point of view. He said, I have barns, I mean, I have barns and I have wealth and I have plenty of stuff, but I have so much stuff that I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to tear down my stuff and I'm going to build bigger barns and I'm going to build greater things. And as I build these greater things and I have these bigger things so I could store all my goods. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to get a big storage unit, right? Uh, if he was alive today, he probably would have been in the, in the U-Haul business or the storage business. He's like, I'm going to build more and more and more. And is that not a picture of our world today? We have so many things and so many possessions in this world that we keep building more and more and more and more. And this man keeps saying, here I am. I have all these things. And my pursuit of this life is I have this great, this great, great abundance of possessions and everything is great. And he said to himself, self, right? He said, self, I have all these goods and I could, I have for many years, I can retire. I could take it easy. I could do whatever I want to do. And he says to his own self, Take ease. Lay down on the job, you can eat, you can drink, and be merry. Pursue the things of the world with no care of anything else, for you have plenty of abundance of possessions. And you know, is that not the worldly view? It's not not the view that not only in this day, but many take in this day. That as we look to the things of this world, it's a great reminder as a disciple of Jesus Christ that are we pursuing the things of this world only? Are we only after those things? I've said this before, and it's very true. It's okay to have riches, but it's not okay for riches to have you. Like, like our heart is not to be consumed by our possessions. Jesus is going to expand on that a little bit later when he talks to his disciples. But in our world today, I think, it would be, I think it would be a fair statement to say that the majority of our world is chasing after nothing but material possessions. Chasing after nothing but pursuing the things of this world. I have goods. I am fine. And I want to eat. And I want to drink. And I want to be merry. I want the things of this world and I want the pleasures of man and I can be merry in my soul because I have plenty of things in this world. But verse 20, Jesus said, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? He, he gets to the heart of the issue. You are chasing after fishes and loaves. You are chasing after miracles in this world. You are chasing after possession of this world. And all your pursuit of life is to have this world. But what a fool. A fool is someone who is completely out of touch with reality. Someone who believes a lie. So much so that everyone knows it is foolish. He said that is the foolish thing you can do. That is, that is the worst thing you can do. This night... Your soul will be required of you. And does that not remind you of the uncertainty of life? I mean, for me, it does. And for me, you know, you think you live this whole world and you think you have it all planned out to a certain age or a certain time frame. But we are not promised tomorrow. We are not promised tomorrow. We are not promised the next 10 years. We are not promised the next five years. We don't know when that day is. And God clearly tells us until that day, you shouldn't live for these things of the world because your soul may be required of you. And it's automatic... Just as you were born, you will die. And, and is once appointed a man to die and then the judgment. We will stand before the Lord. And he says, for you to only live to the things of this world and the possessions of this world and all you want to consume is the things of this world, he says, it's foolish. He says, for you, this night, your soul is required of you. And we think about another scripture Jesus gave us. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? This man had given everything he had for the world, and he'd come up on the short end of the stick. Let me tell you, it looks attractive, and it looks like it's fulfilling, and it looks like the things of this world is what we all pursue, and I'm sure everyone in this room has struggled with this before. We have all looked to someone else and say, look at the house that they have, or look at the car that they have, or look at the easy life they have. And look at this, and we all look to these possessions, and we all think, if I just can get one more thing. Matter of fact, before I even came in here, I was telling Roger about a a truck that I saw that I wanted to buy. Don't tell Aaron, by the way. (sighs) But I could tell without even asking her. She already said no. Now, look at her face. It's already a no. I know it's a no. But I have a new truck, and I want an old truck. How does that work? I get an old truck and I want a new truck. I mean, it's just, it's the weirdest thing in the world. It's the things of this world does not satisfy our soul, but somehow, some way, it weaves our, it into our heart. And as we let it get a control of our heart, if we don't reset, if we don't seek after the things of God, it takes over our heart. And those of the world are nothing but world seekers. And that's all they look to and that's all they have. But what a sad life. Listen, if this if this life... Is the greatest that you'll ever have. What a sad life. But for as a Christian, it's not that way. This life is the worst we'll ever have it. I mean, the life that we have in God and the life that we'll have in the future is so much greater than this. And he says clear, straight up, if you only pursue the things of this world and you lay up these treasure for himself, you are not rich towards God. You are a fool. You're a fool. Now listen, I know you've probably been called a fool before. I have too. But I'm going to tell you, if Jesus calls you a fool, you better pay attention, right? You better pay attention to what he's saying. He's saying, don't be tricked. Don't be bewitched. Don't be overtaken. It is foolish. Then he looks to his disciples. And here's how we're going to live this out. He looks to his disciples and he says to them, and this is for us. This is for every believer in Jesus Christ who's wanting to follow after him. He looks to his disciples and he said, therefore, I say to you, he points to them, that's the world. They're pursuing those things and their day is coming. But for you, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat. That one got me right there, by the way. I was worried about what I would eat, (laughs) what you will eat, nor about the body and what you'll put on. That got the ladies right there, by the way. All right. 23, life is more important than food and the body is more important than clothing, consider the ravens for they neither sow nor reap which they have neither storehouse nor barn and God feeds them of how much more value are you than the birds hey did you see the ravens you see the birds they they gather they eat do they have barns do they have uh storage units no they don't have those things they don't have none of those things God feeds them God takes care of them and if he takes care of the birds birds are you not more important than the birds then he says in verse 25, And if which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? I can remember when I was in high school, I wanted to be just a couple inches taller. Maybe I can get a college scholarship, right? If I could just get to six foot four, if I could just get to six foot three, or just get to six foot five. But as much as I wanted, as much as I tried, I never got any taller. Now I'm growing horizontally, but I'm not growing vertically. But I am growing, (laughs) but he says here how much you can desire, you can want, but God made you, you are who you are, no matter what you worry or how much you uh, worry about that, you can't add one cubit to it, not even one centimeter to it. Verse 26, if you then are not able, able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies of the field. He talked about the birds, and now he's talking about the flowers. Look how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the, gra- clothes the grass, which today is in the field, and tomorrow stone in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? So he says, their perspective... Nothing but the world. Nothing but possessions. Nothing but gather all you can and can all that you get and kill anybody that comes near your can, right? That's what he's telling them. Do have nothing to do with the the God. Uh, Seek your own way. Get your own possessions. Eat, drink, and be merry and make the best of life. Have you not heard that? Have you not heard the world say, enjoy it while you got it. It goes by fast. This is all there is to life. Do it your way. Make yourself happy. And it doesn't matter whatever we engage in, in marriage, make yourself happy. Make yourself happy with this and make yourself happy with possessions. Make yourself happy with your job. Make yourself happy with these things. It's always about yourself. It's always about pursuing happiness and the things of this world. But God tells the disciples, that's not how it is when you follow after me. I want you to live a life that's pursuing me. And then he he says, here's a couple examples for you. Like, Like the birds and like the lilies and like the grass. Are they not much more important than you? You have little faith. Meaning that you're following after me for the wrong reason. Look at what it says in verse 29. He says, And do not seek what you shall eat and, do, and what you shall drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations seek after. Another word for that is Gentiles or non-believers or world seekers. That's all they seek after. But your Father knows that you need these things. And verse 31. But seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Man, isn't that amazing? He says, first and foremost, seek the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added unto you. I said this before, but when you button up a shirt, you know, and you get the first button wrong, what happens when you get to the end of the buttons? You have one more button and no hole, right? Or you have one hole and no button. But when you get the first button right, guess what happens? All the rest of them line up, and they all fall into place. Jesus is saying, as a disciple, this is the most important thing. The first button. Make him Lord of your life. Seek his kingdom. If you seek his kingdom, guess what? It's not that he's going to keep you from all these things. It's not that he's going to not clothe you. It's not that he's not going to feed you. It's not that he's going to punish you. No, all these things will be added unto you. That they're in God, and they are His, and He will bless you with those things, and He will bring those things into your life, and you're not seeking or pursuing the things of the world. You're seeking and pursuing God, and He adds all these things to you. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And that's the way we can come to God and see the seeking of God's kingdom and not the possessions of this world. I want to finish out two more verses, and we've got a couple more principles to talk about. He says, Do not fear, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches or moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Bingo, there it is. A lot of us will say the opposite. But what he's saying is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And when we talk about treasure, we talk about things, even in our own life, the things that we value. What do we value in our life? What do we value in our life that, that causes us to grow closer to God? Or what are the things that we should treasure that draws us closer to God? He said, those things that I've given to you, those are the things that you should be able to look at and say, that's your treasure and your heart will be in those places as well. And when we put our hearts on God and we put our hearts in the things of God and we, we give uh, to God and we provide ourselves things in heaven that thieves never steal and moth never destroys. There, there's no way anybody will ever rob it, take it or ever destroy it. You think about the opposite when you get these things of this world. I mean, think about when somebody steals from you. Don't you hate when somebody steals? I mean, there's nothing worse than a thief, right? I mean, you work hard and you get these things and somebody steals it from you. Man, it makes you so upset. Think about a moth is destroyed. Think about in Florida, not a moth, but just think about a, how rust destroys, right? I mean, you get these possessions, and you look at them, they're so valuable, and they're so expensive, cars and all the other stuff. And next thing you know, one day you walk out, there's a little spot missing, and all of a sudden it starts caving away and caving away and caving away. And next thing you know, it spreads all the way across your whole car, and the rust just eats it out. And the one thing that you desired more than anything else, all of a sudden the rust is just taking it out. It's completely gone. It's—it's it's, What he's saying here is these things that you have, this earth, means nothing He says, provide for yourself treasure that which does not grow old and treasure that does not destroy. That means it's treasure not from this world. It means that when we invest in the things of God, when we invest in those things, he says, who our heart will be there and those treasure will be for us. We think about those things that are eternal. Think about the eternal things that we can invest in in our life. Number one, God is eternal. Let me tell you, every moment and every desire and every, uh, every affection you set upon God will never go to waste. You know, that's why we worship here at church. We don't come for a performance or a show. We come to worship. And when we worship, we ascribe worth to God. We take our time out of our week and out of our time and know personally we should be doing it, but corporately we come together as God's people to worship the Lord. And let me tell you, when you worship God, when you ascribe worth to who he is, when you praise his name, there's never a wasted moment in praise and worship of God. Never. He he takes that time and he values that time and it brings treasure to you and to the God's kingdom that nothing else could do. And when we worship God and we spend time with God and fellowship with God, when, when we pray to God, when we pray, uh, when we read His Word, when we go through these things and the things of God, it's not a waste of time. You know, it's amazing how we work these things out in our life, and you hear people, and they say, well, you know what? God has blessed me so much that I just don't have time to go to church anymore. God has blessed me so much that I just don't have time to pray anymore. God has blessed me so much that he, I just don't have time to do those things with my family anymore. He can fix that, by the way, right? I mean, He can fix those things. And when we have those things in our life and we're investing in those things that are not of God and we take the blessings of God and we put them over God Himself, there's something wrong with that. We should be not, not praising the blessings, but praising the God of the blessings, right? And we should take those things, we should put them first in our life, and we should pursue after them. And when we pursue after those things, it will be a treasure that will not fade, will not rot, will not fall away, because we are seeking after the thing that never fails, that never goes away. I think about people. Do you know people are eternal? Some people say, well, some have eternal life and some don't. It's not true. Some people have eternal life in God, and other people have an eternal life separated from God. But the fact of the matter is a human soul lives forever. It lives in eternity. It's just a matter of which place, in heaven or in hell. And for us, when we invest in people, we invest in God's children, we invest in those who are around us, it's never a wasted moment. And you know, when you think about it, you, you serve, you teach, you, you prepare, you, you serve others, you, you provide things for them, you minister to them. That's not a wasted time. That's not a wasted moment. God sees those things, and every moment we spend serving and praising God and and serving God's people and serving souls and witnessing, they're worth it. Every bit of it. It's worth it because that's something that's eternal. It's worth it because that's something that's going to last forever. It's worth it because that's something that's going to be in eternity. And listen, we spend all the time in the world watching games, playing games, scrolling on our pages on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram, all these things. And we can spend hours of doing that. But when it comes to praying, when it comes to serving, when it comes to working in the nursery, when it comes to, uh, you know, teaching kids or spending time with teenagers or doing those things, all of a sudden we're too busy for that. And you know why we're too busy is because we have the wrong perspective, right? We don't have the right, we don't have the right thing. We don't have the right thing in the right place. And you guys know this, and I've heard this a long time ago, and I love to say it because it's so true. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, right? That's the main thing. And when we keep God the main thing, that's the main thing in our life. And that's what Jesus was telling his disciples. Don't fall away like these other people. They're looking to the world because it's tempting. But you know what? Just like Moses said, he said he would rather suffer the afflictions of God than the passing pleasures of this world. It's just passing pleasures. It's kind of like when I told you about the story of going to the fair. They got all these little trinkets. And they look so cool up there in the racks. I can remember going as a kid and now going back as a dad. And all the kids pointing at I want this and I want that about really the only thing I could win consistently was goldfish. <laughs> I could always get a ping pong ball and one of those little things, and if I couldn't get one in there, someone else on the other side would get, and I'd say, hey, I got one right there. And then they'd give me a little fish, you know, and you walk around with that little fish. And without fail, two days, that thing's dead, right? You're flushing it down the toilet. Although one time we got one, it last, I think it lasted like 90 days. It was a miracle. It was, like, it was like a miracle fish. It was one of those just kept going and going and going. But without fail, you, you spend all this money to, to, to win these things and you win this big toy and you win this thing, but at that time you get it home, it's ripped, the stuffing's falling out. You could have bought it for a dollar at the dollar store, basically, but you spent $50 trying to get this one little trinket. And you know, that's what Jesus is teaching here. The things of this world, it's going to cost you more than you're willing to pay. It's going to cost you more than you're willing to pay. They're just little trinkets. They only last for a little while, and all of a sudden it will break down. It will fall apart. It will, it will be destroyed. And yet you, you don't say, I want more possessions and more things that make me happy and more things to seek after. God says, no, have the perspective. To seek the kingdom of God first. Seek his righteousness first. Seek the things of God, and then all these other things that we have on this earth, it will be added to you. And man, what a great perspective for us to think about tonight. What a great perspective to think about for us as Christians. What a great perspective to think about if we were to look to our spiritual bank. How full is it? Do you have more in your earthly bank than you do in your spiritual bank? Let me tell you, if you have more in your earthly bank than you do your spiritual bank, you're going to be worldly. You're going to think about these things. You're going to say, hey, I want bigger barns. I want bigger places. I want more things. I want more possessions. Like I said, it's not a scathing rebuke on possessions. I like nice things. I like cars. I like air conditioning, right? Amen. Well, I like nice things. But it's not that things have you. They shouldn't have your heart. They shouldn't be the pursuit of your life. They shouldn't be those things that you seek after above all else. And it certainly shouldn't be the reason why you want to gain God's favor is to gain more possessions. And just as this man was mocking the teachings of Christ, for us is true. It's true for same for us in our hearts that our spiritual bank should be bigger than our earthly banks. And as we uh, consider this parable, and we consider this teaching by Jesus to his disciples. May we just look and think about how big is our spiritual bank? Or maybe you're here and you realize, you know what, you're kind of like me. It's never been a lack of, of uh, it's never been a problem with money for me. It's always been a lack of money for me. That's been the problem. You might think, well, God's not going to do this, and God can't provide this, and God can't do this, and God can't do that. Let me tell you, God is able. He can provide. He's provided for me and my family, and he's provided for thousands of other saints. And I'm sure every one of us can stand up here and give a testimony and say, I was to the end, and I had nothing, but God provided this for me. He's done it time and time and time again. He always, he will. And listen, if we seek his kingdom and we seek his will and we find and we're in God's will, he will always make a way for us. He will always provide. You know, one of my favorite stories when we were, uh, you know, starting our church and we were um, going through the process of um, moving into our other building that we were at on County Road 210 and... I was just thinking about different ways of how we were going to sit. Remember, we couldn't afford chairs because we had put so much money into the building. Remember that? I was thinking, well, we had fold-out chairs and we had lawn chairs. We had an assortment of different chairs. And I remember going and thinking, man, you know what? This is just crazy, like... Um, you know, they, we went to, I went to price these chairs out, and they were like $4,000. Remember that? They were $4,000 for these chairs. And I was thinking, man, $4,000 for chairs. This is, we're never going to have chairs. You know what I mean? Like, we're going we're gonna to be sitting on the floor. <laughs> like, that's a, that's, a, that's a rough way, or, or having these, all these hodgepodge chairs and everything. And so uh, I was driving home, and I remember there was a little church there, and it had a sign on it, and it said one statement. It said, where God guides he provides. So does that, where God guides, he provides. I said, Lord, you're right. It doesn't matter if we have lawn chairs or we have these chairs, any type of chairs we have, you have got it and you will provide and it'll be in your timing. And that week I had a friend of mine call me, hadn't talked to him in forever. As a matter of fact, if you know the rest of the story, you know, this was really a miracle. Because this guy, he called me, he says, me and my wife have been praying, and he says, we got money set aside. He said, we heard that you started a church, and we want to support that church and the work in the body of Christ. He said, we're sending you a check for $4,000. <laughs> I was like, hold the phone. Are you serious? Like, <laughs> No way. And, and, and he was able to provide that at that time, and he was willing to provide it, and in the future, he, wouldn't, he wasn't able to provide that. and He wasn't willing to provide it. And before that, he wasn't able and he, wasn't, he didn't have the desire. But at that moment, God had provided and we bought our chairs and we had a nice set of chairs in the church. And we had all those things. And, and it was just so true that if we seek after God, his kingdom, he will always provide. He will always provide. And I've said this many times. He doesn't provide all our greeds. He provides all our needs, Right? He, and some greeds in there too sometimes, right? He, he does give us some of our greeds. But he will provide all these things. And just as he was saying here for us to keep that perspective, that we lay up treasure for God and not for ourselves. And, and if you're here and you're thinking, well, God's never going to provide for me, let me tell you, he will provide for you. He will put him first in your life and watch him work and he will provide for you. And thirdly, maybe you're here and you're just sparked by this to pray for people that you know that's wrapped up in this world. You know, it's sad that when people go through this life and all they have is what this world has to offer. Let me tell you, it should break our hearts. It should give us compassion for people like that. It should move us to not envy them and not to be coveting what they have, but to pray for them, to pray that they see that the things of this world is gonna leave them empty and it's gonna leave them dry and let us be the light that can show them the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there are more things to this life than just possessions or worldly things. And so one of those three things I pray tonight that we will focus on those things. And let's have a time of prayer and then we'll have a little bit the time of discussion and we'll have a, a longer extended time of prayer. So let's pray together.